Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is July the 28th, 2023. Glad you could join me. I'm happy to join you. So much to talk about, so much going on. Uh, But I thought today, rather than look at a particular specific case, we'd look at a broader um, scope, if you will. You know, pull back to 30,000 feet, get the God's eye view and look at the lack of integrity to the immigration system, the lack of integrity to our government, because I believe that this lack of integrity within the entire immigration system, not just the southern border that we hear so much about, the entire immigration system lacks integrity, and it has for decades, and that lack of integrity is a direct reflection of the lack of integrity of our political leaders from both political parties. Now, let me be clear. No president has done more damage to border security or immigration law enforcement than Joe Biden. I thought Obama was bad, but Obama looks like a prince compared to Mr. Biden. You know, my dad very sagely said to me when I was growing up, he said, Mike, nothing is so good it couldn't be made better or be so bad that it couldn't get worse. And boy, did we get worse with Joe Biden on an entire spectrum of issues. And again, full disclosure, I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. These are not left-right issues, Democrat versus Republican. These are American issues. And let's realize um, that when you look at immigration, what you're looking at is national security. I believe I've mentioned it before on the program, but I think it is worth repeating. Uh, I've had the privilege of addressing seminars down in Washington Uh, where we spoke before groups of leaders from the U.S. military, Air Force and so forth, generals, colonels, uh, senior civilian personnel, test pilots. Um, In fact, one event even involved one of our astronauts who just come back from the space station. Great privilege to be able to address an audience like that. These are truly American uh, heroes. But I made the point to them, and nobody's ever disagreed, that the shared common mission of all of our branches of the armed forces is to keep the enemies of America as far from our shores as possible. I mean, that's what they're there for. Whether it's uh, in the air, the U.S. Air Force, the Strategic Air Command, whether it's the Navy, whether it's the Army, it's to keep the enemies away so that we can be safe. But guess what? Up close and in person, that vital mission of preventing existential threats to our nation and our citizens That mission falls to the U.S. Coast Guard, the Border Patrol, and ICE. If you look at what the 9-11 Commission had to say, they were crystal clear. Border security is national security. What's kind of interesting, though, the emphasis of the 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony, wasn't just the Mexican border. In fact, most of the attention that they applied uh, dealt with people coming through international airports, because that's how most of the terrorists arrived in the United States. And, of course... The charlatans out there will say, well, you see that? We don't have to worry about the Mexican border. They're coming through airports. No, they're coming through every way possible. If there were burglaries in your neighborhood and you called in a security expert and said to the guy, hey, Charlie, 
I want you to do the best you can to burglar-proof my home, would you be happy if the guy said, I'm going to make that back door of your house impregnable? No one, no thing, nothing can get through that back door. You're safe. And then you say to the guy, yeah, but we've got 12 windows and we've got two skylights and I have a front door and, and a garage. And Oh, don't worry about it. We're just going to take care of that back door for you. That door is going to be as solid as Fort Knox. Would you hire him? Because that's the trick the politicians are playing on us with the southern border, right? We've got to secure the southern border. When they tried to push comprehensive immigration reform down our throats right after 9-11, right after 9-11, what did we hear? First, we're going to secure the southern border. Oh, so if the terrorists want to come on boats or through Canada or through international airports, that's okay. As long as they don't come through the Mexican border, is that the deal? This is a game. This is like the, um, um, the game that was played, that, that America played on the Nazis with the Calais deception, committing, convincing the Nazis we were coming through Calais, through Pas Calais, not through Normandy. And in fact, they put General Patton in charge of an army that existed on paper only, inflatable trucks, inflatable armor vehicles, inflatable tanks. And in the dead of night, the soldiers would go out there. They didn't have infrared. They didn't have spy satellites back then. And they'd go out there and create artificial tracks so it looked like the tanks had been driven up onto the beach at Pas de Calais. Why? Because America realized General Eisenhower, one of the best presidents and generals we ever had, in my humble opinion, was that we had to convince the Germans that the attack would come through Calais, not Normandy, so they would have to split their resources, the Germans would. If the Germans had put all of their resources into Normandy, the invasion would have failed. God only knows how history would have uh, gone. We were fortunate that we had some really brilliant generals and incredibly valiant soldiers, many of whom did not come home, and those who did, many of them were grievously wounded emotionally, physically, and so forth. Our freedom was paid in part with their blood, their suffering. It's amazing how many nitwits are willing to just give it away, isn't it? But the point was, by dividing German resources, we were able to succeed by going in through Normandy. Our resources have been squandered by Biden. We don't have resources dedicated to immigration law enforcement. And the real key to immigration law enforcement, and I've mentioned it before, and it may take you a moment to realize this, but it's interior enforcement. Because we enable aliens to come to the country legally, and the legal system has no integrity. We've been naturalizing terrorists forever. The Tsarnaev brothers that carried out the Boston Marathon attack, one was a naturalized citizen, uh, the other brother was seeking citizenship, and the FBI said, wait a minute, we may have some derogatory information, but both had green cards, the family had been given citizenship. Time and again, uh, when our guys went in and took out bin Laden in the compound, they found a whole library, including a copy of the 9-11 Commission Report and an application for U.S. citizenship. And I've written numerous articles for Front Page Magazine about how many terrorists came to the United States and were instructed by their overseas handlers to take no action until they managed to become U.S. citizens so they could get a U.S. passport, retain their original passport. By the way, when you naturalize, you can change your name. The U.S. passport only reflects your new name. So we allowed terrorists to put themselves, if you will, into their own witness protection program after 9-11, after 9-11. What are we doing? I raised that issue at hearings where I testified before Congress. And all you hear were, were crickets. Crickets. 
oh, this is a political issue, Mr. Cutler. We, we can't do that. I said, why can't you add the original name that the person had before he or she became a U.S. citizen? We're allowing these people to travel around the world on a U.S. passport with a fake name, basically. They made up the name, and we said, yep, that's who they are. We're foolish, we are corrupt, and what we're doing is costing lives. I was watching The Five a couple of days ago, and uh, Miss Tarnow was on, and, you know, she's the resident uh, left-leaning member of the panel, Jessica Tarnow, and she said, well, now that Biden has these folks that are applying for asylum using their phones to make an application, at least now we know who we're letting in. It took my breath away. Can you be that stupid, or are you simply trying to fool the people who are listening to the program? Now we're going to know who they are. The 9-11 hijackers, the 19 hijackers in the aggregate, used more than 360 false names or variations of false names so they could conceal their movements in our country as they went about their deadly preparations. Why do the police fingerprint people they arrest? When you think about the booking process, What's the first thing you think about? You arrest someone, you put on the handcuffs, you drag them into the office, whether it's a federal arrest, whether it's local police, whether it's state police, you handcuff them, you bring them in, you fingerprint them, and you photograph them. Why? This may come as a shock. I I know this is going to be startling for some. Perhaps if Jessica's listening, I doubt it. But this might startle her. Bad guys lie. I know it's, it's shocking to contemplate that fact. But bad guys actually tend not to tell the truth. They lie about all sorts of things. They lie about their names and their addresses. They lie about where they live. They lie about whether the car they're driving is really their car. They lie about everything. I don't care if they are fugitives, terrorists, drug dealers, gangbangers. doesn't matter. The one common trait for dirtbags is they lie. And the most important thing that they lie about is their identities because they don't want the cops or the federal agents to know who they really are because perhaps they're wanted under their original name. Maybe they're fugitives. Maybe they're on a terror watch list. By the way, only a few people are on terror watch lists. Most terrorists aren't on any watch list. That's the other thing. We're fascinated with watch lists. There was a horrific story not long after 9-11, and I – discussed this with Congress at a hearing not long after 9-11. And I just want you to think about the brilliance that was demonstrated by all involved. Intelligence had been received that eight Pakistani males would come to the United States to carry out a terrorist attack just a couple of months after 9-11. It was going to be a follow-on attack, and they came by stowing away on a ship, which goes back to my point that, you know, we, we don't just have a southern border. Right? We have 95,000 miles of coastline. So the information was they're coming by boat. One if by land, two if by sea. Well, they were coming by sea. And lo and behold, a broken-down van shows up at a bridge or tunnel crossing here in New York City, and the bridge and tunnel cops stop the van, and in the van are eight Pakistani men, approximately the same age as the people that we were warned might be coming here to carry out a terror attack. They immediately called the FBI, and the geniuses at the FBI said, give us their names. And the cops asked these guys for their names, and they gave the FBI the names. And the FBI said, no, those names don't show up on any terror watch list. We have no interest in them. Let that sink in. They asked these guys, who are you? They told them who they were, and the Bureau says, oh, 
They're not on the list. We, we're not concerned. Maybe they lied. Oops. And then they called immigration, and the geniuses at immigration said the same thing. Well, if the FBI isn't interested, why should we? And they let them go in their merry way. Now, perhaps we got lucky, or, or I don't know what happened. Maybe they lost their nerve. Maybe they really were terrorists. But stop and let it sink in. You're looking for eight men from Pakistan who are here to carry out an attack. They find eight men from Pakistan in a van in the New York area where the attack was supposedly going to happen. And they're asked for their names. They came up with names, and the FBI says, oh, those names aren't on any lists. We're okay. We are in such deep trouble, I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to begin. There's a couple of really great law enforcement movies that I really love. I recommend strongly The Untouchables with Kevin Costner and Sean Connery, one of my all-time favorite movies. I hope you get to see it if you haven't seen it already. The other one is The Fugitive with Harrison Ford. And if you remember the storyline to The Fugitive, um, Harrison Ford's character is a doctor. His wife is killed by a one-armed individual. And Harrison Ford is arrested and convicted of the death of his wife. And as he's being transferred on a prison train, or on a, on a prison bus, rather, the bus gets hit by a train. He escapes, and he becomes the fugitive. And during the course of uh, the, the marshals looking for him, including Tommy Lee Jones does a bang-up job as a marshal, Harrison Ford goes to a hospital looking to see if he could figure out who the one-armed man is. So he wants to review hospital records at Cook County Hospital. By the way, uh, I arrested a fugitive here in New York, wanted for murder in Chicago. He was a Mario Cuban, and we used my immigration authority working with the New York City Police Department, Chicago police, Chicago prosecutors, and DEA. We arrested this guy, sent him back to Chicago to stand trial for murder. He was sentenced to life without parole. So fugitives pop up all the time. I've, I've arrested people wanted in other countries such as Israel and England. In fact, I have to make a point about the Israeli fugitive. Uh, because, you know, all, all we hear about is racism and bigotry. You're a bigot if you want to enforce immigration laws. The Israelis came to me and said, Mike, we have a guy. He is a weightlifter. We think he's suffering ro- roid rage, you know, steroid use. The guy had like a 26-inch neck. And the woman that he killed was a Palestinian prostitute. We didn't care whether she was Palestinian. We didn't care if she was American or Israeli. The point is this guy was wanted for the murder of a woman, period, full stop. We eventually arrested him, sent him back to Israel. He stood trial and was convicted and was sentenced to many years behind bars. And by the way, the Israelis always did an incredible job working with us. They actually flew him home on an El Al jet in the company of Israeli police officers, saving America quite a bit of money because we didn't have to uh, buy airplane tickets for him and a bunch of agents who normally would have accompanied somebody like this because he was a murderer suspect. All it cost us was the gasoline to get him out to the airport so that uh, the Israeli National Police could put him on an LL jet and uh, take him back to Israel to stand trial. And, and so this is a normal sort of thing to do. But in going through the hospital records, the Harrison Ford character playing that doctor needed to be able to go through the hospital without calling attention to himself. So what does he do? He steals a security badge and puts his photograph on a security badge with someone else's name on it so he's able to walk easily through the hallways 
of this hospital while he looks to get to the medical records of people who have prosthetic arms. Right in the movie, gets himself fake ID. Everyone knows this is a normal way that bad guys conduct business, fake ID, or acquiring identity documents that are legitimate but in false names. The 9-11, in fact, warned us about that. And, and, and in fact, let me see if I could pull this up because it's really super important for you to understand the magnitude of the problem. Um, bear with me. I, I apologize. I thought I had it here. But, but again, understand what the problem is. This is not an unusual occurrence. People that are bad guys always, always, always are looking to conceal their identities, okay? So, uh, page 54 of the 9-11 Commission uh, staff report on terrorist travel. This is uh, titled, uh, this is section 3.2, Terrorist Travel Tactics by Plot. Here's an excerpt. Although there's evidence that some land and sea border entries of terrorists without inspection occurred, these conspirators mainly subverted the legal entry system by entering at airports. In so doing, they relied on a wide variety of fraudulent documents, on aliases, and on government corruption. Okay? Because terrorist operations were not suicide missions in the early to mid-1990s. Once in the United States, U.S. Uh, once in the United States, terrorists and their supporters tried to get legal immigration status that would permit them to remain here, primarily by committing serial or repeated immigration fraud, by claiming political asylum, and by marrying Americans. Many of these tactics would remain largely unchanged and undetected throughout the 1990s up to the 9-11 attack. Thus, abuse of the immigration system and a lack of interior immigration enforcement were unwittingly working together to support terrorist activity. Okay? It would remain largely unknown since no agency of the U.S. government analyzed terrorist travel patterns until after 9-11. This lack of attention meant that critical opportunities to disrupt terrorist travel and therefore deadly terrorist operations were missed. And then page 61, exploring the link between human smugglers and terrorists in July 2001, the CIA warned of a possible link between human smugglers and terrorist groups, including Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Egyptian Islamic Jihad. Indeed, there's evidence to suggest that since 1999, human smugglers have facilitated the travel of terrorists associated with more than a dozen extremist groups with their global reach and connection to fraudulent document vendors and corrupt government officials. Human smugglers clearly have the, quote, credentials necessary to aid terrorist travel. And we have people like Jessica Tarnow and politicians and other so-called journalists telling us, oh, if we legalize these aliens, we'll finally know who they are. Really? There is no capacity to interview them, period, full stop. If there's no capacity to interview them, there's no capacity to do any kind of a field investigation to determine if they lie about their identities, dates of entry, etc., etc., etc. Full stop. So we're going to give identity documents to people who snuck into the country to evade the vetting process we conducted ports of entry, and we're going to reward them with official identity documents that they could then use to get Social Security cards, driver's licenses, credit cards, create an entire fictitious identity as they go about deadly preparations. What are we doing? In the world, are we doing? And yet all we're hearing out of the Republicans Oh, we've got to go after that southern border, the southern border. The su- 
Really? The southern border. Okay. Meanwhile, there was a hearing held about Mayorkas. Now, Mayorkas is a train wreck. I warned about him. I said that putting Mayorkas in charge of the Department of Homeland Security is the equivalent of putting an arsonist in charge of the fire department. In fact, under Mayorkas, DHS has become the Department of Hospitality Services. The Border Patrol is now concierge service. They're not securing the border. They're changing diapers and providing meals and transportation to millions of people who have no right to be here. What could possibly go wrong? Law enforcement, are you crazy? These are our guests. And then they move them to New York, and the mayor goes crazy. What are we going to do with these people? I don't know. Invite them to Gracie Mansion, Governor, uh, Mayor. You like sanctuary policies. What are we doing? What are we doing? And then, even at the hearing, now this is interesting, because um, the uh, chairman made the point that on, um, this was the House Committee on uh, Homeland Security Chairman Mark Green from Maryland, uh, I'm sorry, who's a doctor, he's a Republican from Tennessee, delivered the following opening remarks during the full committee hearing that launched an investigation into DHS Secretary Mayorkas' dereliction of duty. Okay. On February the 2nd, 2021, Alejandro Mayorkas was sworn as the U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security. He swore an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States and faithfully discharge the duties of his office. Since then, the American people have suffered from a national security, humanitarian, and public safety disaster at the southwest border. Again, southwest border. That's the only place that the system is broken? Are we that stupid? Southwest border a disaster that has turned every city into a border city, baloney. Every city has always been a border city, and I've been making that point forever because nearly half of all illegal aliens until Biden came into office entered the United States through international airports. Any state, any state that lies along the northern border, the southern border, has access to our 95,000 miles of coastline, or any state that has an international airport is a border state. Not because they simply travel from the Mexican border to the rest of the country, and they do. There's a huge population in New York City of aliens who've come to the United States across the Mexican border and then made their way to New York City. That's true. But we've got a huge population of illegal aliens who came in through Kennedy International Airport. We have up at the top of New York State, we have the Canadian border. We have a coastal region. We have ships, freighters and uh, ocean liners coming into the port of New York, port of New Jersey. For a couple of years, in fact, I was the Marine Intelligence Officer for the INS here in New York, so I went out with the boarding parties with U.S. Customs and the Coast Guard looking for stowaways and contraband. These were aliens and contraband that did not come across the Mexican border but came on board ships, okay? But all we hear is southwest border, southwest border. But it's interesting because the next paragraph says something that's worth listening to. In just over two years, when the Secretary of Mayorkas, more people have entered our country illegally than in the 12 years of the Obama and Trump administrations combined. This includes more than 5.2 million apprehensions at the southwest border, more than 6.1 million apprehensions factoring in America's northern and maritime borders. There you go and at least 1.5 million known gotaways, illegal aliens who slip across our border without being caught and are now at large in the United States. This should terrify every American. Based on Border Patrol statistics of criminal aliens, 
the department, the DO catch, these gotaways could include as many as 1,180 aliens guilty of DUIs, 285 guilty of sexual assault, and more than three dozen guilty of murder. So even here, they're talking about other than the Mexican border, but what is the focus? The Mexican border. Baloney. And they're not looking at how people come into the country through legal means. Again, what are we talking about here? People basically who come in through ports of entry and then disappear. Judicial Watch did a report that was published on June 28, 2023, just last month. Listen to the headline. Record 853,955 foreigners overstay visas decades after terrorists did it to execute 9-11. Wow. 853,955. And the report begins by saying more than two decades after the Islamic terrorists exploited U.S. government inefficient system for tracking foreigners who overstay visas, the problem is only getting worse with the startling 853,955 visa overstays in fiscal year 2022. A new report issued by the Department of Homeland Security tries to downplay the severity of the situation by shining a light on the positive that the overstay rate is a mere 3.67% compared to 96.33% of the over 23 million non-immigrants that departed the country on time in accordance with the terms of their admission. We are admitting tens of millions of aliens into the United States. Nearly 900,000 last year didn't leave. And it's not just that they didn't leave. What are they doing while they're here? If they're sleeping on their brother's couch, I don't care. But if they're taking jobs they shouldn't take, I, I do care. You should care, too. If they're committing crimes, you should care, right? If they're using resources that should not go to them, you should care. Because we should be taking care of Americans first. You know, and, and that's why I keep saying that I oppose this notion of America first. Don't get excited. Don't have a heart attack. Don't have a stroke. What I don't like about America first is very often that is twisted to mean American companies that, flap, that, that slap an American flag on the direct that they sell. And we say, well, it's America first. No. I want our government to pursue a policy of Americans first, U.S. citizens first. I believe it was American Express who used to say that membership has its rewards. I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that citizenship, U.S. citizenship, should have its rewards. And it does. That's why they're hiring all these IRS agents to make sure that U.S. citizens pay their taxes while they ignore massive fraud committed by illegal aliens, including criminals and terrorists and fugitives and gangbangers among them. This is nuts. This is not the government of the people, by the people, and for the people envisioned uh, by, by Abraham Lincoln. Certainly not. And so we, we get to this story here about what are we doing. Why is there no interior enforcement? Because that's really the key. We only have about 6,000 ICE agents, and most of the work they do has nothing to do with immigration. Why is that? Well, that, boys and girls, uh, you can thank George W. Bush. Because George W. Bush created DHS in a way that violated the Homeland Security Act. DHS was never, um, uh, or uh, immigration within DHS, was never supposed to be divided into Customs and Border Protection and ICE. It was never supposed to include other agencies. Uh-uh, not at all. And in fact, let me see if I could bring this up on... 
May 5, 2005, the House Immigration Subcommittee conducted a hearing on the, the dual missions of the immigration enforcement agencies. John Hostetler, the Republican chairman of the subcommittee, issued a statement. In fact, I testified at that hearing. I worked very closely with John. I thought he was terrific. Uh, I campaigned for him uh, when, when campaign funding was taken from him because he aggravated the Republican uh, hierarchy, apparently. Uh, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. He, he, he was a phenomenal chairman for the House Immigration Subcommittee, as was Lamar Smith. Um, but, you know, the truth will set you free, right? And, and so I, I want to just read a little bit of what John Hostetler had to say. Because this is really important. I want you to understand that it's not just Biden, and it's not just Obama, and it's not just the Democrats. The Republicans started this crap. It was Ronald Reagan, for example, who gave us the visa waiver program. It was Ronald Reagan who gave us the first massive amnesty under the Immigration Reform and Control Act. It was Ronald Reagan who set us on the path to the creation of the visa lottery, the, the diversity visa program signed into law by George Herbert Walker Bush. These are Republicans. And by the way, it took almost a year for George W. Bush to cancel transit without visa. Let me explain what that means. We used to have a program, I'm not sure if it still even exists, but there was a time when if an alien, let's say coming to the United States from Europe, wanted to go to Latin America, they might come to New York, spend a night in a hotel, go to the airport, get on an airplane and fly to Argentina, Chile, um, pick a country, Colombia, Bolivia, it didn't matter. So they would transit through the United States, but if they were going to depart, and I think it was within 10 days, kind of archaic, it goes back to the days when this was done by ship, they did not need a visa. How easy is it to disappear into the woodwork? You're on the honor system. After 9-11, it should have been clear to everybody that this program created an opportunity for some bad actors to get into the United States without a visa and then disappear, right? At least if they had a sterile card and you had to leave the same day, that's doable, all right? At least you know they're not going to disappear. But to say to somebody, oh, you're transit without visa, come back tomorrow, the flight will be leaving at, the, at 10 p.m. And we did this. It took George W. Bush nearly a year to suspend, not cancel, but suspend travel without visa. That's low-hanging fruit. That program should have ended before the towers collapsed. It took almost a year. Thank you, George W. Bush, globalist. So let me, with, with that for background, let me just quickly read some of what uh, Hotstetler had to say at the hearing. The first two subcommittee hearings of the year examined in detail how the immigration enforcement agencies have inadequate resources and too few personnel to carry out their mission. The witnesses mentioned the lack of uniforms, badges, detention space, and the inevitable low morale. The frontline agents are overwhelmed by the sheer volume of incoming illegal aliens. If this were not enough, the immigration enforcement agencies also face internal confusion resulting from dual or multiple missions in which immigration has all too often taken a back seat. Sadly, contrary to Congress's expectations, immigration enforcement has not been the primary focus of either of these agencies, and that's the subject of the hearing today. And the two agencies were ICE and Customs and Border Protection. And Hostetler went on and said, the Homeland Security Act, enacted in November 2002, split the former Immigration and Naturalization Service, or the INS, into separate immigration service and enforcement agencies, both within the Department of Homeland Security. This split had been pursued by Chairman Sensenbrenner 
Jim Sensenbrenner at the time was chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, which had oversight over all of this, right? By Chairman Sensenbrenner, based on testimony and evidence, the dual missions of the INS had resulted in poor performance. In fact, I had spoken with him and his people and convinced them that they needed to change the structure of the agency. I did that unofficially, but based on my many years of experience as an immigration agent. And Hostetler goes on and says there was a constant tug of war between providing good service to law-abiding aliens and enforcing the law against the lawbreakers. The plain language of the Homeland Security Act, Title D, creates a Bureau of Border Security and specifically transfers all immigration enforcement functions of the INS into it. Yet when it came down to actually creating the two new agencies, the administration, meaning the Bush administration, veered off course. Now think about that. Hostetler is a Republican, Bush is a Republican, and he had no problem calling him out. In fact, frequently, he and other Republicans would call upon me to go to Capitol Hill to testify at hearings when they were at odds with immigration policies by the Bush administration because they understood that nothing less than national security and public safety were on the line. That's how it should be. When was the last time you heard a Democrat stand up to Biden and a non-existent border and hundreds of thousands of deaths due to drugs flowing freely across our country. And I again remind you, I'm a registered Democrat. These people are not acting as Democrats. They're acting as fascists and totalitarians. They are drunk with power and could care less about governance and could care less about the well-being of Americans. In point of fact, I've come to refer to the Democrat Party as the death-ocrat. Let me not interrupt Mr. Hostetler's words. There was the constant tug of war, and let me, I'm repeating myself, bear with me, I'm sorry. Although the service functions of the INS were transferred to USCIS, United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, the enforcement side of the INS was split in two. What is now Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, to handle interior enforcement and Customs and Border Protection to guard our borders. ICE was given all customs agents, investigators, intelligence analysts from the Treasury Department, as well as the Federal Protective Service to guard federal buildings and the federal air marshals to protect our airplanes, and finally, INS investigators. CBP was given all Treasury customs inspectors at ports of entry, agriculture inspectors from the Department of Agriculture, and INS inspectors. At no time during the reorganization planning was it anticipated by the committee, meaning the House Judiciary Committee, that an immigration enforcement agency would share its role with other enforcement functions, such as the enforcement of our customs laws. This simply results in the creation of dual or multiple missions that the Act sought to avoid in the first place. Failure to adhere to the statutory framework established by the Homeland Security Act has produced immigration enforcement incoherence that undermines immigration enforcement missions central to DHS and undermines the security of our nation's borders and our citizens. It is not certain on what basis it was determined that customs and agriculture enforcement should become part of the Immigration Enforcement Agency, except to require federal agents at the border to have more expertise and more functions. It is also unknown on what basis the federal air marshal should become part of this agency, especially since it has been revealed that the, their policy is not to apprehend out-of-immigration status aliens when they're discovered on flights. Picture that one, folks. If the mission of the Department of Homeland Security is to protect the homeland, it cannot affect its mission by compromising or neglecting immigration enforcement for customs enforcement. Now, here's the real critical paragraph. The 9-11 terrorists all came to the United States without weapons or contraband. Added customs enforcement would not have stopped 9-11 from happening. What might have foiled al-Qaeda's plan was additional immigration focus 
vetting and enforcement. And so what is needed is the recognition that, one, immigration is a very important national security issue that cannot take a back seat to customs or agriculture. Two, immigration is a very complex issue, and immigration enforcement agencies need experts in immigration enforcement. And three, the leadership of our immigration agencies should be shielded ah, from political pressures to act in a way which could compromise the nation's security. While I am grateful to the service and good work of the heads of our immigration agencies, some of whom are leaving presently for other experiences in government, I would urge the administration in the future to place the leadership of immigration agencies in the hands of those experienced in immigration matters. Because what Bush did was have all the leaders come from agencies with no immigration experience because he did everything he could to destroy immigration law enforcement, beginning with interior enforcement. Ironically, the first time I testified before Congress about immigration and terrorism was on May 20th, 97, because of the two terror attacks carried out in the United States in 1993 at the CIA by a Pakistani national by the name of Kansi, who shot up the CIA, and then a month later, the bombing at the World Trade Center. So we all knew immigration fraud was the big issue. And you still have politicians, both parties, oh, we need comprehensive immigration reform. We need to legalize these people. We need to focus on the southern border. Meanwhile, last uh, two weeks ago, rather, I'm sorry I wasn't with you last week. Sometimes family matters uh, have to take priority. But what was remarkable is that a naturalized U.S. citizen, or I'm sorry, resident alien, he wasn't naturalized, but he was a resident alien, um, was sentenced to life in prison because he was a key player for ISIS. And, of course, the DOJ press release highlighted Brooklyn resident. Brooklyn resident came to the United States from Kosovo. He had a green card. He was legally admitted and given lawful status. This is the same broken system that Ms. Tarnow is saying, oh, now we know who's here. No, we don't. We are flying blind in a storm, and nobody gives a rat's tail in either party because they've been bought and paid for. So now let's look at where we are with corruption. Because something dawned on me as I was listening to the horror show that is playing out in slow motion with Hunter Biden because it's slow motion because it's been slow walked apparently by the Justice Department. If you listen to the testimony of all of these whistleblowers, and I got to tell you, as someone who's been there, done that, it's not easy being a whistleblower. They come for you one way or the other. I had one of my friends, a leader within INS, testify before the Oversight Committee how the Clinton administration created a program known as Citizenship USA after the 93 terror attacks, which you all knew had a nexus to immigration fraud, and they pushed 1.1 million aliens through the naturalization process to become citizens. He referred to that as the Jiffy Lube process. This was a guy who had gotten the Hammer Award from Al Gore. I warned him that one day they would smack him upside the head with that damn hammer. And as soon as he went back to his office, he was told he was being fired because he said that he, could, he was given no referrals of possible immigration fraud once this program was up and running, whereas before that he might get hundreds of you know, uh, referrals every month. I don't have the exact numbers, but he said he had zero referrals. They found that he did get one referral. And so they said to him, you lied to Congress. You said zero, and we found one, and you're out of a job. They were trying to strip him of his job and his pension. I, am, I, I approached Lamar Smith, who at the time was the subcommittee chairman, 
And I said, you got to help this guy out. This is outrageous. He came forward, and now they're trying to punish him. And he did. And he did not lose his job, but he was stripped from management and told to travel around the country and look to make sure that all the officers were complying with whatever they're supposed to comply with. And when he came back and submitted a, a detailed written report, report, the guy is very, very bright, very sharp. We've known each other forever, going back to public school. Um, his boss told him, we don't want reports. Just come in, let me know, thumbs up, thumbs down, and where do you want to go next? So they had him trotting around the country to keep him out of harm's way, get him out of their hair, and placate a very angry chairman of the Oversight Committee. Welcome to the wacky world of whistleblowers, etc., etc., etc. And you look at the way that Hunter Biden is alleged to have done what he's done. We're looking at all this money, uh, and God only knows the full extent of the money. I wonder what happens if they start looking for overseas bank accounts and God knows what else. And I have to tell you what really enrages me, not just angers me, but enrages me. As an immigration agent, all federal agents are told you cannot take anything more than a glass of ice water from anybody when you're on duty. No soda, no coffee, no sandwiches, ice water. Why? It's not enough that you don't engage in wrongdoing. You must never even give the illusion of doing wrong. And this is a well-established fact in law enforcement. In fact, you know, I worked very closely with the Israeli National Police. My relationship with them began in 1976 when, by accident, kind of, sort of, I tripped over a terror plot in Israel. A young Israeli man came into the United States with an altered visa, and as I started digging, uh, it got worse and worse, and eventually what we found was that he was here to get money to buy explosives to help blow up an oil refinery in Israel uh, on behalf of the PLO, the Palestine Liberation Organization. And from that day forward, as you might imagine, I had a wonderful working relationship with the Israelis. They always were helpful. Whatever we needed, they were there with bells on and a smile. But I remember having lunch one day with one of their police generals. They were generally here for a three-year stint, and as one left, I'd be introduced to the next one and so forth. I worked with them for almost a quarter of a century. It was a wonderful, super productive relationship. And they told me that in Israel there was always concern about their police taking free food or whatever from restaurants. And the problem is once you take food, you feel compelled to treat the patrons of that restaurant differently, ignore double park cars and that sort of thing. And that's a breakdown in the idea of integrity. No one is supposed to get preferential treatment under the law. Tell that to Hunter Biden. Tell that to the Democrats, by the way. So the Israelis are always very creative. I have to hand them that. They're the most creative people I know, and I've spent years working with them, and other foreign governments. I got an award from the government of Japan for helping them with the narcotics case. So what did the Israelis do to get cops to step in lunches from restaurants? Each police station hired the best chef they could find, a gourmet chef, and this guy or gal would serve up the best food you could imagine, and the price was my favorite price, free. So you have a choice. Go to a mediocre restaurant, or go into the precinct and get a free meal, all-you-can-eat buffet by a world-class chef. Needless to say, problem solved. All the cops were showing up in the precinct for lunch, and everybody was happy. But the idea is that if you start accepting something from somebody, you feel that you are indebted to them and you need to treat them differently because they were so nice to you. That's over lunch or a cup of coffee. 
What happens when we're talking about millions of dollars? And now the information is what? That perhaps Hunter was acting as a foreign agent for a foreign government. What does that mean? Acting in the best interest of another country. And among the countries on the list are China. So let's look at America's wonderful ongoing relationship with China, besides the espionage, the flow of fentanyl, the fact that they're laundering money for the drug cartels, and now it turns out the drug cartels may be running organized shoplifting rings in the United States, and again, the Chinese happy to launder the money. So we see all this going on with China. They built up their military. They rattle their sabers. They threaten America with technology that, for the most part, has been stolen from the United States because we educated their students. And then you've got the issue with COVID and how it started and where it started. And now if you've been following what's going on with Jim Jordan about Facebook being told that they should block any suggestions that COVID was the result of a failure of a Chinese lab, and this was by the Biden administration, if you put all these pieces together, you have to ask a question. Now, I'm not saying this is what happened. I'm only asking questions, right? I like to ask questions. As an agent, we always started an investigation by asking questions. With all the money that purportedly has been pouring in, all the business deals that purportedly Hunter is engaged in, possibly with the big guy sitting next to him, wink, wink, could it be that everything we're witnessing with a lack of border security and the business with Facebook and social media is a quid pro quo for money being received. It almost feels like a protection racket. You know, the corrupt cops that tells the mob when whorehouses are going to get raided, so they tell them to shut the, the, the joint down tomorrow because the cops are coming, or the gambling houses, or whatever. Now, this probably isn't the case. I don't know. Just asking a question. Inquiring minds want to know. But what exactly is China getting for all the money that allegedly has been flowing to Joe Biden's son? You have to ask the questions. And where are the members of Congress? Well, now, how many members of Congress, perhaps, have been getting campaign contributions that they should not have been getting if they come from countries other than the United States? The best government money can buy. And I go back to that admonition that I was given as an agent. It's not enough to not engage in wrongdoing. You must never even give the illusion of doing wrong. And if national security is being compromised that severely, how in the world can the Democrats sit there and say, oh, this is just political? They have families. They have children. They have grandchildren. They have nieces. They have nephews. They have spouses. The safety of America, the survival of America is on the line saying, gee whiz, we better make sure that something rotten isn't happening here. Everything is viewed through the prism of, well, Hunter isn't Donald Trump. If he was Donald Trump, well, that's a whole new story. Now, I'm not a huge fan of Donald Trump, okay? I didn't like what he did with Jeff Sessions. Uh, he wanted to fire him. That's fine. Jeff is a, is a wonderful guy. I worked closely with him. I've had dinner with him. Uh, I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Times back in around 2006, 2007, where I said they need to rename Comprehensive Immigration Reform the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. He quoted me from the floor of the Senate on three separate days and then had the integrity to send me a certificate attributing that statement to my words that he borrowed from my op-ed in the Washington Times. That shows real integrity, real moral fiber. He was excellent on the immigration issue. 
President Trump wanted to get rid of him. That's fine, but there was no reason for him to beat him up the way he did and destroy his opportunity to run for his old seat because when he ran, I mean, I've been down to, uh, to Alabama, and the folks of Alabama had a love affair with Jeff Sessions, and, and, and what happened made it so toxic for him that he couldn't win his old seat back. It angered me. But I liked a number of Trump's policies, but what enrages me is that Trump is clearly being treated differently from anybody else. Laws must be enforced and applied equally, or we turn the protectors of law enforcement um, into the oppressors. When law enforcement treats one group of people differently from another group, that's oppression, and that's a loss of civil rights and, and freedom and liberty. It's the antithesis of what America stands for. If you look at what happened with Hillary and her laptops and her cell phones and all the missing emails and you look at uh, Anthony Weiner and you look at Joe Biden himself with those documents that he had when he was a senator. He certainly had no authority to have top secret materials. Presidents do as, as a senator and somehow that all disappears. Poof, doesn't much matter. Treatment leads to oppression. That's how you turn a police state on. You enforce the laws disparately to go after your enemies, not the law violators. I think it was Alan Dershowitz who said everyone commits a felony every three, you know, two felonies a day or whatever. Yeah, if you follow someone around long enough, you can play gotcha. You can play gotcha, right? You can indict a ham sandwich, for God's sakes. So if you're going to go after Trump, then you have to go after Biden. You have to go after Hillary. You have to go after everyone. Well, you go after nobody. Equal justice under the law. Equal justice under the law. Imagine you're driving down the highway five miles over the speed limit and you get pulled over while a bunch of thugs driving, you know, cars with blacked out windows, Corvettes and so forth are going by you, you know, 40 miles an hour over the speed limit, but you get pulled over to say, what the hell's going on? What did I do? You're it. We don't like you, so we're going to find you. Once you get a mile over the speed limit, you're it because we don't like you. So what's going to happen? People are going to call the police and say, uh, officer, uh, I, there's a suspicious man in my backyard. And they look you up on the computer and they go, oh, this guy's with the wrong political party. Sorry, Charlie, can't help you out. Click. What equal justice? Lady Justice wears a blindfold for a purpose. So if you want to talk about it, it's not enough to not engage in wrongdoing but not give the illusion of doing wrong. Tell me what we're witnessing right now with the Biden family. Now, again, Maybe there's an innocent explanation, but if you look at the testimony of all of these whistleblowers and how the Justice Department did and did not react, and then you look at Trump, and you have to ask yourself, is this equal treatment under the law? Because that's what equality means. It enrages me. This is a dangerous game that's being played, and democracy hangs in the balance. I remember as a new agent, I was sitting at a restaurant across the street from my office minding my own business, sitting at the counter, grabbed a quick lunch, and, and what I usually like after lunch is a nice little serving of, of, of chocolate pudding with a shot of whipped cream, and I was just digging into my chocolate pudding, and an immigration lawyer who I recognized went over to me and said, Mr. Cutler, how are you? And I didn't know what in the world to do. I had no desire to talk to this guy. It didn't look right. Again, the illusion of doing wrong. And as I'm sitting there, super uncomfortable, one of my bosses walks by, sees this guy sitting next to me, walks in and whispers in my ear, and I could see that he 
was suffering from a quiet riot, said to me, Mr. Cutler, when you finish your lunch, you get directly up to my office. And I thought, oh, boy. So I quickly got rid of that chocolate pudding, paid my check, and ran upstairs. He said to me, what were you doing having lunch with that immigration lawyer? I said, you know, I wasn't having lunch with him. I was sitting at the counter minding my own business, and he slid over to me. He said, do you know what that looks like? I said, yes. He said, do you understand that you look like you've been compromised? That's not acceptable. I said, well, what in the world should I have done? He said, well, you could start out telling him, do not come next to me. We have nothing to talk about. You're a lawyer. I'm an agent. Not a good situation. You don't want to do that? Take your dessert to go. You don't want to do that? Get rid of the dessert, pay your bill, and get out of there. But to have you sitting across the street from the office next to an attorney who handles immigration cases looks like garbage. And he said, you could ruin your reputation and destroy your career. What exactly had I done? I was sitting there. The guy came over to me. But looks are important, right? Must never even give the illusion of doing wrong. What is going on with the politicians and the campaign contributions and all the other crap that's going on? Doesn't it give you cause for cause? America is under extreme threats coming at us from a bunch of directions. Our borders are our first and last line of defense. The idea that we're being censored by the government, by the government, is something George Orwell warned about. You know, he said that telling the truth in the time of tyranny is a revolutionary act. This is a time of tyranny. Don't you dare suggest anything about COVID. Don't you dare question climate change. We have every right to ask any question we want. And when we're told follow the science, science isn't a book, it's a methodology. It's about looking at phenomenon and then trying to understand what's behind the phenomenon. It's amazing to me because I'm a science guy. I was going to be an aerospace engineer. Two of my kids are engineers. I got bitten by the astronomy bug when I was back in the third grade. And I'm so pleased that my granddaughter has become an astronomy bug also. It just tickles me. I can't tell you. But if you watch the programs, they will tell you with certainty, the universe is 13.8 billion years old. Well, now it turns out maybe not. Maybe they got it wrong. I saw one estimate that maybe it's twice as old. And I saw some other physicists say, gee whiz, maybe the universe had no beginning and will probably have no end. Maybe it's a steady state universe after all these years. What happened? Well, they launched the James Webb Space Telescope and other telescopes, and the better the technology gets, the more refined the questions get. Voltaire said you judge a person's intelligence by the questions they ask. And we are now living in a country where asking the wrong question can get you jammed up and perhaps accused of being a terrorist. God only knows. Certainly going to school board meetings don't do you any good. And I was the the parent association president of my daughter's public school. So rather than nurturing relationships between children and their parents, which generally helps to have a much better outcome, it would appear that the crazy Democrats are trying to drive a wedge between parents and their children and create chaos. There was a hearing recently about the transsexual kids, and one doctor who testified said that he himself was transsexual, and then I believe the number was fewer than 1% or 2% of all people have uh, sexual uh, dysphoria. You wouldn't know that from all these articles and the way that they're pushing children to get irreversible treatment. 
Is anyone really looking out for the well-being of our children? And if you're not looking out for the well-being of our children, you're certainly not looking out for the well-being of the future of our nation because they're inextricably intertwined. We've got to make some serious decisions when Election Day comes. We have to be willing to grow the spine, to develop the chutzpah, to stand up to the thugs and the bullies that are trying to intimidate us into submission. We have a First Amendment. It's a case of use it or lose it. We have every right and, in fact, an imperative to speak with our neighbors, ignore the superficial nonsense, forget about Democrat, Republican. And for the meanwhile, I would even put aside certain controversial issues because if we don't secure our borders, all borders, and create an immigration system that has true integrity, America cannot survive. This is an existential threat, and this is not a statement of xenophobia. It's a statement of reality. So let's take all those other issues, put them on the shelf for the day when we finally secure the future and safety of America and Americans. Let's focus on what makes us most similar, not what makes us most different, and let's not lose sight of the fact that democracy is not a spectator sport. It is critically important to sit down with our neighbors and have heart-to-heart conversations with them and focus on the safety and survival of America and what it means for our children and their children. That's a mission that we all must undertake. It's a job that all Americans must do. And please don't look at any politician and say, oh, he's a good guy because he's with this party or that party. George Washington warned us about political parties. He was very much concerned, in point of fact, about political parties and saw political parties as, as being super problematic. Uh, you know, and, and, I, and I want you to remember that. Do not lose sight of the fact that George Washington felt that political parties would provide unscrupulous people with the opportunity to usurp the power of the people and the voices of the American citizens. That's something that George Washington warned us about. It's a warning that we really need to take to heart. Vote for individual politicians, political parties. Make them accountable. Make sure they answer the questions you ask them and not the questions that they wished that you had asked them. And it wouldn't be a bad idea to get them on, on tape. So that way you could put it out there on the Internet so that everybody could get to see where these people really stand on the critical issues. I think this is a common-sense approach. It's a reasonable approach. Stick with the facts. Let's stop the vitriolic nonsense. Our enemies, both foreign and domestic, love it when we fight with each other. United we stand, folks. Let's remain united as citizens of this great nation. Um, I thank you so much for joining me this evening. I hope that the program is providing you with some information that Otherwise, you would not be getting and raising issues and questions in your mind that will be helpful in sorting out the madness. I look forward to seeing you again next week right here uh, on the Michael Cutler Hour. But meanwhile, I wish you all a very good weekend. Please share the link to the podcast of my program with as many people as you can and try to inspire those great conversations during your next barbecue, picnic, uh, or get-together with friends, neighbors, family, and, and folks you work with. Be well, everybody. We'll see you next week. So long for now.